0: Welcome to What in the World, a project initiated by Hungry for Life International. Today's podcast is titled Full Well Stop Telling People What to Do, Part One, and Jess will be interviewing Dave Lundell. So grab your headphones, sit back, relax, and listen as we do a three part series on non directive leadership skills for nonprofit management. Hi, and welcome back to another week of What in the World podcast for Hungry for Life, where we talk about all things to do with global nonprofits including leadership. So today we have our social enterprise arm, Fullwell Leadership on docket, and we brought Dave Blondell in to talk about that. So hello.
1: Great to be here again.
0: So we thought this would be a really good topic to talk about a, because Dave coaches a lot of nonprofits on this topic of non-directed leadership skills, because we're seeing the entrance of the millennials into mm-hmm. leadership. Mm-hmm. And um, generationally, as it goes, every, every generation does leadership a bit different. Mm-hmm. They have different styles. They demand different things. <laughs> demand.
2: Yeah.
0: Sorry. And so we're going to talk a bit about that. And Dave, do you want to shed any more light? Do you want to kind of smooth out that introduction for me at all? Or, or is that kind of... Where we're heading with this talking about the next generation of leaders coming into not like nonprofit leadership specifically right
1: yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean consistent with what full well is all about the new social enterprise arm of hungry for life we mm-hmm. focus on helping other organizations get bigger and by doing that we can have a bigger impact and so Fullwell exists so that we can uh expand and 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 speed up hung, uh, Hungry for Life's vision by helping other nonprofits have a bigger impact. And and with that comes the, the role of leadership development, coaching teams and other organizations. And it's pretty clear that there's a generational, just with baby boomers retiring, mm-hmm. there's a generational shift of leaders younger than us that are coming up into nonprofits. Not as many as we would like, but they're coming and I think we have to lead differently.
0: So how, how did the baby boomers lead?
1: Oh wow, that's a big question. Of course, yeah, there's list, always exceptions right. and and wanting to be careful not to stereotype because there's some incredibly effective non-directive uh, baby boomer leaders. But I think the older model of leadership is more aligned with something called the trait theory of leadership or the great man or great person theory of leadership, which is leadership's all about your traits, who you are, your charisma, your strength, your ability to communicate, even physical size contributes to the great man theory of leadership. And it's the predominant theory of leadership for thousands of years. Uh, and, 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 without getting too detailed into the history of leadership, the, the reality is the leaders that come before us, the baby boomer way of leading was more along the lines of command and control, more directive. We tell you what to do and you do it. And, um, And probably even me saying that bristles you as a millennial leader a little bit.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And and so when you've got Gen X or millennials moving into senior charity leadership roles, if they're either used to or have experience working with a leader that just tells them what to do, that, that does all kinds of stifling from a leadership development perspective and and so i think that this is a leadership skill that's becoming necessary to engage the millennial generation in 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 leadership period but in nonprofit,
0: yeah i'm ex- i'm really excited to talk about this topic um a because i am a millennial yeah. and <laughs> and b because it's just it's a fascinating shift of uh like how how organizations are run yeah. and um unless you Cognitively aware of the shift you're gonna yep. miss out. Yeah, and and then things aren't gonna work If you're if you're a millennial trying to lead, lead directly, it, it may not work out so well, right? <laughs> so right. Um, so Jumping right into this. So just to set the scene for this episode we're gonna talk first about Directive versus non-directive leadership because that kind of sets the stage for the rest of the episodes. And then I wanna get into intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic. I knew I was gonna stumble over that, but intrinsic (laughs) and extrinsic motivation and talk about that. So first of all, what's the difference between directive leadership and non-directive leadership and some practical examples of what that might look
1: like? Directive leadership carries with it almost like, uh, I tell you what to do, you do it. I tell you how to do it and you do it that way that it assumes that all people need specific direction to come from a leader in order to get their job done and and then and and that that concept of directive leadership has become equated with with leadership as a whole that for me to be a leader I've got to know it all I've got to be able to tell everybody what to do I've got to be the smartest everyone needs to just do it as I say uh, or as I do and and that leader, the form of leadership is is a lot of telling, a lot of advice giving, and and they they, they directive leaders may call it advice giving or be sort of non directive by saying they're giving advice, but mm-hmm. really how it's being received is I'm telling you what to do. So directive leadership is telling people what to do and how to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. So non-directive is the exact opposite of that.
1: Non-directive is the opposite of that. And so non-directive leadership would would involve, would, would tap into ways of interacting with followers that assumes you have the ability at different times in your work and leadership, you have the ability to come up with answers to your own questions. And so... It's not like it's a shift where you 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 turn off the directive and turn on the non-directive. Because as a, as a leader, if you've got somebody new coming into the organization, it's their first day, and they say, "How do I do my job?" You're not going to say, "How do you say, think you do should do you your job?" you <laughs> feel you should do your job? Or if someone comes into the organization saying, "You know, how do I get my email working?"
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's just obviously those are times where you need directive forms of influence, where mm-hmm. you're telling people where the bathroom is and mm-hmm. how to get their email working and and the basics of how to do their job.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Beyond that, as people become more comfortable in their role, non-directive leadership assumes that, th- that, that each person is capable of coming up with answers to their own solutions if, if they're led in a non-directive way. And so for a leader, it's making the transition at different times from directive to non-directive. But it assumes that you're capable mm-hmm. of growth, you're capable of coming up with answers to your own questions, if you're guided well,
0: it's a lot of um, risk taking on the leader's part. I yep. would say. And, do you agree or disagree that you have to give up, possi- possibly efficiency?
1: For sure, you have to give up efficiency at the beginning, because you, as the leader, probably have do things the fastest, the best. You're you're in the top of your game, and. When you're developing other leaders and using non-directive leadership to do that, you need to often lower your expectation for quality for the greater purpose of developing the people within your organization.
2: Hmm.
0: That's tough for leaders yeah. who have, you know, especially if they've done done their time, so to speak. You know, they've been in the industry a long time. For them, it's just like, lickety split, let's do it, let's get yep. it done. Why is it not done yesterday? Yeah. Like, even as a, as a mom, I feel that with my kids, like, Mm-hmm. It's just going to be easier if I get your cereal and pour your milk. Yeah. But in the long run, I don't want to do that for their whole lives. Right. So, so actually, my next question was, who can benefit from knowing this information? Is this just a leadership thing? Because, you know, we have other people who are listening to this podcast. So. Sure.
1: No, I think that's a great question. And I think it's ultimately a relationship thing. Yep. Because who likes to be told what to do all the time? Mm-hmm. Who likes to live with someone who's command and control?
0: So this is actually a marriage podcast. No, just kidding. (laughs) Definitely could be. (laughs) Yep. Okay. So bosses, employees, church leadership, volunteer coordinators, teachers, maybe?
1: Yeah. I I mean, anyone who who works with people and anyone who is working with talented, smart, capable people. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some people in the organization that just likes to be given tasks. Just tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. Give me my tasks and I'll go at it. Um, even then, I think non-directive leadership skills are helpful for those situations. But there are more and more people that don't want to just be tasked. They want to be responsibility-driven, mm-hmm. and they want to be given areas of responsibility. They want to be, think creatively and do things that, the way that they think should should be done.
0: So in the workplace, why? Are, what, what's the biggest reason we're seeing the shift to non-directive leadership? Is it because the next gen is coming in as leadership, or is it society pressures or culture shifts?
1: Let me ask you a question on that because as a millennial leader, if you came into a workplace and your work was all about carrying out the orders of someone else, Mm -hmm. how would you as a millennial leader respond to that?
0: Being just told to carry out a certain, well, to to me, it totally depends on what the job is. Like, I mean, nonprofits are a bit different. We're a bit more intrinsically motivated.
1: It's true. Could be true.
0: Um, so it just depends on why you're at the job. Like like you said, a lot of people maybe just do want to show up and do their list of A to Z.
1: But you? like you, Me specifically. Yeah. I'm asking oh, you specifically. No. If, no. if you came to work and your interactions with your leaders were being told what to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You get a little defensive. Yeah. I hate to admit it, but you do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. Why why do you get defensive? What what makes you defensive when someone tells you? Ah,
0: well, it it makes me feel like my knowledge is undervalued. Yep. Mm -hmm. What else? Um, like I'm not a valuable member of the team, Uh and like I am here to only support that person, that said leader.
1: Right. And how long do you think you'd be in that role for if that was your work environment?
0: I don't know. That's not it here. So.
1: (laughs) Really glad to hear that. Yeah. But.
0: Yeah, probably you would lose motivation quite quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. And
1: you, you pointed out that when people are in nonprofit situations, you have to, you really have to rely on intrinsic motivation in mm-hmm. order for people to be there. And if, if people are only motivated because you're telling them what to do, you're not going to have people for very long.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and especially considering most nonprofits are not the top payers of the world. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. you, there has to be more of that element. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which requires real intentional Leadership to make that switch.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and that can be difficult, but I do have to say, here at HFL, I feel very like almost it's almost a bit scary though, because I think that shift has happened in my career span. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say since I've entered. I would say since after high school till now there has been a noticeable shift from directive really? to non-directive I know I'm old but <laughs> I have noticed that okay so coming from somebody who you know was raised to you know you show up at a job and you do what you're told and you keep your head down and whatever mm-hmm. it's almost like a, a strange shift to have that ownership and I second-guess myself a lot because of that mm. so but the more and more I have that non-directive type leadership the more confident I feel in my job and I'm just using me as an example because I'm sure a lot of the Millennials could maybe feel that way of you know like no somebody does believe that you are capable of doing this and um, it's not just a matter of getting the job done their way it's a matter of like hey what do you think is best you may fail in the meantime but we're not going to fire you for it. Like, right. we're yeah. Can
1: I geek out for a second on totally. leadership theory? Yeah. And non-directive leadership is really consistent with something called situational leadership. Okay. And situational leadership is where you as a leader need to constantly be adjusting your directive non- non-directive mm-hmm. skills mm-hmm. based on the needs of the followers. So you've got someone who comes into the organization for the first time, says, how do I do my job? That's what they, they need. The best way to serve them right now is with directive behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone who's been in their role for a bunch of years and comes to you with a problem, they're capable, they're motivated, uh, they're competent in their role. If you stay in a directive mode with them, they're going to lose motivation. Mm-hmm. And so you realize, okay, now I've got to, with this person here, I need to be directive. But with this person here, where, they're at, where they are at in their development, they need more supportive or non directed behavior mm-hmm. interaction, and so it's very consistent with something that's not heard of very often, but is incredibly practical.
0: Well, you know, when I first started googling the topic, <laughs> shoot, <laughs> we all start I, there. I, I said that out loud. Um, I didn't really buy it. I was like, you know, like, are we just creating this generation of everyone who? creates a job that they want to do and then the real hard nitty gritty stuff just doesn't get done or like like what is it so i'm kind of happy to hear you say that no there actually is a time for directive leadership and there has to be the situational leadership where you can switch like it's like a hybrid you can switch yep. based on the needs of the person the employee right. and <clears throat> the leader and sorry and the organization yeah the team yeah, yeah. Hmm. Inter- oh that was my next question is there a is there a time and place that directive leadership is more effective you answer that
1: yeah for sure and I would say I would expand on that by saying where decisions need to be made super quickly Mm
2: -hmm.
1: when there's again a lower level of expertise about a topic (coughs) in a follower Mm -hmm. in an emergency situation uh, if you're you know doing field work and it's critical that something happens at a specific amount of time Mm -hmm. if you use non-directive leadership skills there people will feel a sense of Um, ambiguity and no one knows what's going on Mm -hmm. and so depending on again that's why it's called situational leadership but depending on the situation you you need to be able to be a directive leader in some of those situations and like being some of the things that we've gone through in the last six months with ukraine Mm -hmm. even though it's a capable team there were some quick decisions that need to be made and i needed to switch more to a directive leadership style but as quickly as i could Mm -hmm. move away from directive to to non-directive so there's lots of times where directive leadership is important
0: so then this is not a question on our our question list that i sent you but how where does accountability fit in from a non-directive standpoint how do you how do you um hold employees accountable to get their job done um if things go awry how does a non-directive leader step in and correct
1: so let's ask you another question okay I regret doing this. I'm
0: just kidding. I mean,
1: you're a leader in the organization. You've been here a long time. You know what you're doing. You're really good at your job. If I came and said to you, um, Jess, by next Friday, I want you to have these things done. Versus if I came to you and said, hey, Jess, when do you think you could get these things done by? Because here's a date in the future that they need to be done by. So like... Uh, when do you think you could get them done by? Um, how would you respond to those different ways of interacting with me?
0: Oh, well, I feel like that's an obvious answer. One, again, gets your defense up. Like like suddenly you kind like, of oh, like, he has no idea what's on my plate right, right now. And I don't think Friday is a possible deadline versus like, oh, hey, okay. So I'm actually more willing to work with you on... Uh, how quick you need whatever it is that you asked for right. or whatever it is so yeah yeah.
1: I mean that's really the, the answer to the question so what if so if you say you know I can't get it You know, if, if you were led in such a way where someone said Jeff, these mm-hmm. are the things that have to get done mm-hmm. when do you think you can get them done by given what's going on in your life right now
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you say based on you being given the flexibility you reciprocate with a yeah I really want to get that done by mm-hmm. if you said I can get it done by saturday at three how much more likely are you going to be held accountable to saturday at three when you've come up with a deadline
2: yeah yeah
1: so i think non-directive leadership actually provides more accountability than than directive leadership now there's situations where again using ukraine recently as an example where we had to have a proposal done by three o'clock on a certain day Mm -hmm. and everybody understands that's the situation we're in yeah and, and we say hey we need this proposal out by today at three o'clock
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and and if in di- in a mode of directive leadership if people are consistently mm-hmm. missing deadlines you've got to ask okay is this an, an a motivation issue for the person or is an ability issue for the person
2: oh,
0: yes crucial conversations, crucial
1: accountability Account-
0: accountability mm-hmm. yes
1: because yeah great book and it talks about if someone's not doing what they said they were going to do mm-hmm. the diagnosis is to figure out whether it's a, an ability thing or a motivation thing and then lead you <sighs> situational leadership to lead differently to address that problem that just
0: takes far too much patience
1: <laughs> and for leaders who are we call them red <laughs> yep for you know red being all about results and mm-hmm. being driven by by performance sometimes we can default to directive leadership too quickly because we really love results and we're motivated by results Mm -hmm. Um, and so so it can be harder for more leaders who like to be more directive Mm -hmm. and so you're right it does take a lot of work but ultimately I think it's much more effective
0: what would you say the naysayers have to say about directive leadership and what would be your rebuttal to that
1: I think you identified some of them There's situations where it's not appropriate Mm -hmm. Um, and and a lot of these things about leadership and topics are not formulas. They're, they're tools mm-hmm. that you need to become comfortable using at different times. I was working with an organization uh, not too long ago. And one of the leaders in, this or- in the organization was experiencing our involvement as we're talking about n- sort of non-directive leadership skills. And this person just said, that doesn't work. The only thing that works is to tell people what to do. That's what's made me successful in business. That's what made me successful in my role. And so I prefer that leadership style and I'll stick to it. And so, um, I mean, ultimately, if someone's not teachable, you're you're not going to get anywhere with them. Mm-hmm. What was your question?
0: What would the naysayers say? That, about, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so some of the naysayers that I've experienced are are they were successful years ago with directive leadership style and they think they can still be successful with it. There's just
0: that unwillingness to adapt to the new generation. Yeah,
1: too much work. Yeah. uh, Too too much work, too too touchy-feely. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I know a few of those. Yeah. (laughs) So, because it does require you to learn some of the, uh, sometimes they're called soft skills. and I think it's a terrible word to describe them, but people skills. Oh, okay.
2: Mm -hmm. Because
1: soft skills means that there's some hard skills and they sound more important than the soft skills and, Mm -hmm. and non-directive leadership does require you to learn people skills and figure out where each person's at.
0: Yeah. That requires a lot for a leader. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, that hopefully our listeners right now have a good grasp on the difference between directive and non-directive and how directive is actually quite a generational thing. Yeah. And, um, yeah there kinda has to be this willingness to adapt to the next generation in order to succeed. Right. Especially, even if you're Red, I know, or like even if you're that, that results performance-driven type person, mm-hmm. um, well, you're still gonna get way more bang for your buck if you use non-directive, given you're leading the next generation. So yeah. it's even important for, for us, Red, <laughs> to do it that. It is, so.
1: and maybe even more important, it's, yeah. it's more work to get Mm -hmm. to the place where we can use those skills.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which I want to segue then into motivations, Uh because I feel like that actually ties in quite nicely with non-directive leadership. You need to understand the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic motivations. Right. So, um, you want to give us a quick definition of intrinsic versus extrinsic.
1: Yep. Extrinsic motivation is motivation that comes from outside of ourselves,
2: mm-hmm. such external, as?
1: such as carrots and sticks, rewards and punishments. And again, that's very consistent with directive, command and control leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't do what I want you to do, there'll be a punishment. If you do do what I want you to do lots, there may be a reward or a salary increase or pizza day or whatever people So it's that idea that people are primarily motivated or primarily not motivated internally. And my job as a leader is to use external forces to make them motivated.
0: So intrinsic, an example of internal motivation then would be...
1: A motivation that comes from within. Stuff that you want to do based on why you want, specifically why you want to do it. Passion, desire, getting better at my craft... um, you just can't not do this type internal motivation.
0: Right. Yeah. So this is, I know I should know this stuff by now, but like every year I send out an email to all staff requesting that they go contact all of their people looking for donations for our silent auction. Yep. And it's like pulling teeth with the staff. Yep. Sorry, staff, I'm throwing you under the bus right now, (laughs) but little
1: window into the organization
0: yeah sorry there's there's our that's okay it's good Um, and every year I'm like how do I motivate the staff to to help like this can't be a one-man job like I don't I can't go to a hundred different businesses and you know just given time constraints and whatever it's just not possible so I need everyone's help of network of people and so I've tried different extrinsic motivational yep. tactics yeah, yep. which have not worked i'll just yep. be straight up <clears throat> some and people so,
1: engage with them yeah but some do some do the
0: same few every yep. year
1: competitive people you know
0: who you are and thank you <laughs> um <laughs> but <clears throat> yeah so after i did a little uh, research on this topic i'm gonna approach this differently next year yep yeah why didn't you tell me that
1: <laughs> leadership fail on my part.
0: No, no. Shoot. I didn't mean to do that either. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a there's a need, a need to understand how to intrinsically motivate people. Yep. But how do you do, how do you do that?
1: So there's three elements. Okay. To intrinsic motivation. Okay. And the more of these elements that you bring together, the more intrinsically or internally someone's going to be motivated. So, first of all, one of the major elements is autonomy. People want a, a desire to be self-directed. They, they don't want to be micromanaged. So micromanagement would be the opposite of autonomy. They want to be told what the goal is and then to figure out have some autonomy in figuring out how to get there. <clears throat> so the desire to be self-directed is one element to intrinsic motivation. A second one is mastery, which is the desire that I have to get better at what I do. Most people have a desire to get better at what they do. Uh, and so the more you can help people get better the more they're going to be internally motivated because we we all want to succeed we're all kinda baked with this desire to most contribute to a group that we're a part of and third and probably most important is purpose Mm -hmm. so that's the desire to use my skills and abilities to contribute to something bigger than myself that has purpose so so again autonomy mastery and purpose and if you can bring those three together people will naturally be internally motivated so if you think about why someone would work for a nonprofit that doesn't pay as much as the corporate world which of those three are you probably consistently relying on for motivation purpose purpose yeah Yeah. people are doing it because they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves and Mm -hmm. and help people and so that's a That's an an excellent example of intrinsic motivation because you're relying on purpose. But if you can bring in the other two, like autonomy and mastery, you're just increasing the degree to which someone's motivated uh, from within themselves. And again, if they're not motivated at all, it's then a requirement of the leader to figure out why. Is Mm -hmm. it a skill issue? Is it a motivation issue? If it's a skill issue, then become more directive and teach the skills that Mm -hmm. they need in order to do their job. But if it's a motivation issue, move from extrinsic motivation carrots and sticks very few people like carrots and sticks to autonomy mastery and purpose mm-hmm. so put that into the getting auction items. yeah i was
0: just gonna ask
1: so what do you think are some ways you could use autonomy mastery and purpose oh, <laughs> you're wanting me to give you the answer yeah which yeah, is you want you to give me the answer the opposite of what we're talking about yeah.
0: so here's a little insight to coaching sessions okay. <laughs> um Okay, so I send out my email. I say, hey, we're all in this together team. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This auction is not just for me. This is for the operational to keep our lights on. Um, Let's work together. This is the email that I typically send. And if you could contact me, whatever. Okay, so I'm just running through this in my head, trying to think of how I can reword this. Um, Autonomy. Don't ask. (laughs)
1: what else could it possibly be
0: autonomy autonomy okay so go to
1: mastery go to purpose for a second okay and you use the example hey we got to do this event to keep our lights on yeah what's purposeful about that
0: well it goes back to who we work for
1: which
0: is the all of our project partners in all the different countries like That's ultimately why we're all here. We all have this motivation to do the world better. And we all have this motivation to help those who are in need. And And we can't do that without our lights being on.
1: Right. So how can you connect that purpose to people bringing auction items?
0: Other than just saying that in the email? Yeah. Hmm.
1: What other forms? Because email might not be the best place to always foster purpose. You're
2: right.
1: You know where you've done that really well is in... Weekly meetings coming up to the auction. You bring in purpose there. Oh, okay. People are. Gen- yeah. I've seen people be generally more motivated when you're there.
2: Hmm. You
0: know, I'm actually drawing a blank here. This is where this is where my head bangs against the wall, thinking I don't really know how to motivate people to because it's not a fun task. That's the thing. It's but we leaders have to constantly motivate staff to do the non-fun tasks. Right. Um, but how do you tie like? asking for an, a donation to, hey, we're feeding, we're feeding poor people right now. Like, it's just a hard, for, in my mind, it's a hard connection because we all know that. Like, we all know that this operations fundraiser, we, we couldn't operate. The lights won't stay on. Yeah. We can't do our project assessments. There's all these different things that we can't do without our operational funding. But.
1: How could you engage one of our project managers into the meetings to talk about what keeping the lights on means for the project partner they're dealing with.
2: Oh.
0: Oh, just maybe get get them to explain what their last assessment trip was like and that came out of our, our operations costs yep. or uh, sending down new staff to train them. That also comes out of operational costs. Like, yeah. oh, I should get a lease at the next auction meeting. Ding, ding, there it is.
1: That's a a great idea. Because she's
0: out, one of our newer staff is actually out in the field Mm -hmm. training to be a project manager at the moment. And so that can't happen without our operational
1: funding. Right. That's purpose. Great idea. Yeah. Mastery. Skills. Yeah. Autonomy, mastery, purpose. Mm -hmm. How could you tap into personal mastery for each of the staff versus a competitive approach to getting auction items?
0: Oh boy. Personal mastery. Connecting with donors, maybe like their personal network of donors. Is that kind of what you mean, or?
1: I'll become a bit more directive for the sake of time.
0: Yes, thank you.
1: Rather than saying whoever brings in the most auction items gets a, uh, X.
0: A gift card to Farmhouse Brewing, which is what I did.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Great extrinsic <Absolutely> motivation. One. <laughs> Great extrinsic motivation. Yeah. Um, what. How do you think it would be for you if you said to the staff last year, staff X, last year, you brought in three auction items? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: What could it take for you to bring in one more than three this year?
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Okay.
1: Rather than compare them to the staff that are bringing in lots.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And so we're talking about carrots and sticks here. And like I work nonprofit. I understand the purpose aspect of that because that's why I'm here. But I also love carrots. Like sure. So (laughs) you're also dealing with like as a as a leader, can are you still being a non directive leader who is intrinsically motivating their staff, can you still use carrots?
1: Yeah, for sure. Like we talked about needing to go between situationally go between directive and non directive. Mm -hmm. We do have a few of our staff who are extrinsically motivated Mm -hmm. as well as intrinsically motivated. And uh, and so to, to use that as part of the process of motivation is a fantastic idea the problem is when we don't do the work of figuring out how to motivate people internally and we over rely on carrots and sticks
2: mm.
0: so one of my questions that i was going to ask is how do incentives decrease motivation like why why do incentives decrease yeah. motivation
1: and it's it to explain this would go beyond the time that we have and if you're if people are really interested in learning about this you, there's a, there's a book called uh, it's from daniel pink what's the name of his book Maybe we'll put that in. I'm the writing a note. Yep. Uh, Daniel Pink. Yeah, Daniel Pink wrote a great book recently on. I'm not sure how recent it was, but he wrote a great book on this topic. Okay. And he talks about the fact how actually carrots and sticks over time demotivate people and don't keep them engaged and motivated to do their job. Hmm. Um, and and that's based on that's based on behavioral science that that talks about the fact that if I'm always waiting for something outside of me to motivate me, it's it, the, the carrots and sticks need to constantly change for me to be motivated. Uh, sometimes carrots work better than sticks. And if I'm just getting the field house card every time I do this, mm-hmm. that, that carrot becomes normative now and actually demotivating because I'm still not tapping into intrinsic leadership or intrinsic motivation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we'll put the name of the book in the, I think it's, it's Drive. It's called Drive. Okay. Daniel Pink Drive. And it it really deals well and scientifically with the question of carrots and sticks end up actually demotivating people over time. Hmm. Not all people, but... Right.
0: Well, yeah, and this is just so millennial of me to say, but I like the carrots, but I don't like the sticks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and that's a really good point. Yeah. That's a really good point. If we turned around and said, instead of Fieldhouse, if you don't get those auction items in, there's going to be this kind of punishment. Which...
0: Everyone has to work extra hours. No,
2: I'm yeah. kidding.
1: Uh, seriously, like uh, if, if, if we said something like that, yeah. people are just getting it to avoid pain.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How is that in any way good leadership? Right,
0: right. Yeah. Does not create good culture, which we have a episode on somewhere down
2: there. We do, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I, I wrote down, let's talk about the over-justification effect because I was doing some, some research on this, but now mm. I'm drawing a blank with that. Do you, do you recall what the over-justification effect is?
1: I've never heard of that.
0: Oh, okay. It was very fascinating when I was reading it. But basically...
1: <laughs> Can you try and summarize mm, what it gets at? Uh,
0: you know, let, for the sake of time, let's move on. <laughs> um, so when... <laughs>
1: we need Google here.
0: Uh, when is it appropriate to use external motivation? Kind of like how we talked about there's there's a time to use directive leadership. Is there a time to use external motivation?
1: Sure. And that's with, you know, there's, we can talk about a group of people here that that works really well with. They always want to win. They're, you know, they they love carrots. They, it, it's a personal motivating thing for right. them yeah. to achieve an award. Mm-hmm. But it, it comes back to non-directive assumptions, which is everybody's motivated by different things. So uh carrots carrots in particular, sometimes sticks are necessary. If if you're consistently failing to do a job that's really important that's going to compromise people's safety, mm-hmm. then eventually there's gonna have to be punishments related to whether they can work in the organization. Mm-hmm. If they're right. consistently failing and no matter what you do, they're not teachable,
2: mm-hmm.
1: then then sticks become unfortunately a part of the, the process of addressing motivation. Again, to relying on carrots and sticks as your only m- means of motivation is super bad leadership, but there's times and places where they're necessary.
0: In your span of coaching with nonprofit organizations, have you seen a situation where um, it may, to to the outside, have seemed like a bit of a hopeless situation, but using intrinsic motivation and non-directive leadership, you saw a complete 180.
1: Oh, that's such a great question.
0: Like just by putting in the time to understand people and specific people's motivations, have you seen change?
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. And the change has been when, I think the most obvious answer to that question is when leaders are specifically stuck in something in a situation in a relationship with a direct report if they're just doing the same thing over and over again to try and get that person motivated if they're stuck then um, non-directive leadership skills or coaching that person listening and asking good questions helps them get unstuck mm. so there's an organization that had somebody on their senior leadership team who were constantly sabotaging the organization sucking the life out of the motivation by everybody else who was intrinsically motivated. Mm -hmm. They were chronically angry, chronically critical, chronically anxious. Everyone was tired. Mm -hmm. And so in the work that we did using these skills, the senior leader got to the place where he said, I've got to make a hard decision. And for the sake of the whole, um, let this person go. Mm -hmm. Super hard, super consequential, very complicated, but in following up, with this person recently I said how's how's what have been some of the effects of that decision over the last period of time Mm -hmm. and they said our organization is completely different
2: Mm.
1: our senior leadership team has completely changed okay and so that was a that was a time where me using non-directive leadership skills and seeing that leader start to employ them in his work with his team resulted in yeah, a remarkable change on his team.
0: Hmm. That's cool you get to actually see it full circle through your yeah. coaching.
1: Not, not often. Well, yeah, it is really cool when you yeah. get to see it.
0: I have this quote. A person's interest often survives when a reward is used neither to bribe nor to control, but to signal a job well done, as in a most improved player award. If a reward boosts your feeling of competence after doing good work, your enjoyment of the task may increase. Rewards rightly administered can motivate high performance and creativity. And extrinsic rewards, such as scholarship, scholarships, admissions, and jobs that often follow good grades, are here to stay. What do you think of that quote?
1: I think it's true for some people. Yeah. I think it's really true for some people. There are people that love a goal, love to set the, the standard high, want to have some mastery over what the goal is. There you go. If That's I came mastery. and said, yeah, if I came and said, mm-hmm. your your goal is X amount of auction items for the auction this year versus what do you want your goal to be for the amount of auction items that we bring in,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you're going to be more attached to your own goal. Mm-hmm. Um, accountability comes into play there again. But for some people, goals are really, um, are a real motivational factor for them. For others, they actually demotivate them huh. because, Yeah right because if you set a goal for 100 and you end up with 97 i right? didn't meet the goal i'm terrible i'm a failure and so that's some of the danger of e- extrinsic motivation and some of the answer to your question earlier how extrinsic motivation can sometimes demotivate people yes so that's that's a reality for some and like we've talked about here there's some that are motivated by by extrinsic fun rewards uh, and and uh, we we years ago toyed with the concept of employee of the month.
0: Yes, when I started here, yeah, there were <laughs> stars, stars all around the office, mainly from one person, right, who would print a, a face of an employee on a star and cut it out and like yeah, put it somewhere. It's
1: still floating around. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't me. <laughs> uh, and again. That's that sometimes can be so subjective, it could be very motivating for some people to become the employee of the month. It can be really demotivating for sometimes the people who are just faithfully working in the background right. don't get noticed a lot.
2: yeah,
1: uh, who are very intrinsically motivated. Yeah. that extrinsic motivation attempt can be demotivating for them.
0: Oh, so interesting. I always thought goals were a good motivator, yeah, Ugh. yeah,
1: yeah, and then they're really important to you and yeah. they are to others like you know, I remember Chad sometimes super motivated by winning the thing yes. <laughs> that's there and Ange and others and um, and there are some that would be more, more motivated to say last year you brought in two what could it take for you to get to three mm-hmm. or you doing this specifically has a direct effect because of what happened in the field this week or mm-hmm. with Ukraine or any of the other projects that benefit because we raise operational support. Mm-hmm. It requires, though, I guess you said, a lot of work for us. Yeah. Yeah.
0: This seems like almost a daunting task for leaders Mm -hmm. to think about your specific staff. Yeah. And each person has a different (laughs) set of needs. (laughs) Oh, wow. See, then then the the, uh, results-driven people are just like, forget it all. I need that deadline by Friday. Yeah. And if you (laughs) got the email saying,
1: here's a gift certificate for auction items, you'd be like, right on. Let's go. Oh, yeah. Um, and that, yeah. that, that doesn't motivate me. Yeah. Okay. Um, but.
0: That's why you haven't brought anything in yet. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We
1: yeah, can you're edit not that wrong. out. <laughs> no, no, you're not wrong. Um, but when you talked about Elise coming to a meeting, mm-hmm. talking about her as a new staff member, going to the field, and that was possible because mm-hmm. I went and talked to people about some auction items, that for me is more important than a gift certificate.
0: Mm-hmm. You're a better person. No. Yes.
1: <laughs> no, it's, that's not it at all. And that's really important to know because one sounds mm-hmm. altruistic yeah, and one does. sounds doesn't. Yeah. But it's actually just acknowledging the differences in people. Because mm-hmm. uh, we know people aren't here for rewards. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they wouldn't be here. Totally. So a farmhouse a yeah. certificate or money or yeah. anything else. Yeah. And so all it does is recognize people are motivated by different things. Right. And I, as a leader, need to figure out and adjust my leadership style to that person. There's no wrong or right. Hmm. And what motivates people? Very
0: interesting. What are three practical tips that you would give anyone in management?
2: <laughs>
1: around this area, yeah. around this topic.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Super great question. I think some learning. Google some of the terms that we've talked about today: coaching, non-directive leadership skills, uh, situational leadership. Uh, start to learn some of the theories and the concepts. Read Daniel Pink's book, Drive, and what motivates people, and try some of the stuff that's in there. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that's the next step. Uh, that's the first thing that I would say. The second thing I would say would be listening to people better, uh, and related to that, the third thing is, is ask them questions. What what does motivate you?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Coming to a staff meeting saying some of you are motivated by rewards and some of you aren't, so what would help you to become more motivated? Mm-hmm. Like Ask them the questions about this whole topic. Right. And
0: it's easier asking somebody, "What are you motivated by?" by guessing for five months what they're motivated by. <laughs> Good advice. Yeah.
1: So I would say start with those things. Start yeah. learning. Start practicing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Those are great tips. Um. Would you say there's a different difference of approach between nonprofit and corporate, or can it all just be used interchangeably?
1: For sure, it can. For sure, it can. And it should I think it's just better overall relationships, better leadership. There are the realities for nonprofits that work with volunteers or almost volunteers or people that don't don't make as much as they would in the corporate world where I think it where I know it's extremely critical to learn about how to motivate people intrinsically uh, to go between directive and and then quickly move to non directive to take a coach approach. Because you're not, you, you can't rely on the big carrots and the big sticks in in the nonprofit world like the like the corporate world can. Mm-hmm. But like I said, if that's your basis for leadership, I think you're going to be in trouble whether you're a nonprofit or for-profit. So I think it's just better leadership and can and probably should apply to the concepts of influencing people.
0: Mm-hmm. You already answered my last question, which is what are some great first steps in somebody learning how to shift gears but you mentioned like do some learning read drive or you know there's probably a bunch of other books that we could we could link um you know i embarrassingly my simple google search actually taught me a lot
1: yeah is that true yeah it did so
0: it's a great starting point and you could easily go down a rabbit trail like this article was linked to this article on motivation and and all these different
1: yeah or reach back out to us or me or info at fullwell.ca and Mm -hmm. we can help people with some resources because the problem great benefit to Google is you get some great resources the problem is there's yeah well implementation and there's so many resources you don't know which are the best so organizations like us one of the things that we help to do is curate all of that great information into some specific tools and Mm -hmm. resources people can use. And so reaching out to us and and we can point people in a direction specifically if they're overwhelmed by the Google search results.
0: The Google search, yes. And if you're interested in this episode there's going to be two more. Mm -hmm. We haven't quite exactly hammered out what the topics are but can you give a bit of teasers into some other uh, non-directive leadership skills?
1: Yeah, I think uh, facilitation skills for leaders and their teams. So for the leader to sort of be the last to speak, to pull information from their people in a team setting is really important Uh, skill. We could talk about that. And also we're going to, I think it will be our, I don't know if it's our third one, but leadership coaching, as we understand leadership coaching, I think is also an incredibly great way to start. And we have some materials on uh, leadership coaching foundations and we're also really connected to Essential Impact and other great leadership coaching Equiper, equipping organization and uh, I think to take this to the next level to really kind of beat out of you the advice monster mm-hmm. learning leadership coaching and facilitation skills are some great topics that we can talk about and point people to
0: and so invaluable and not just for not just for if you're in nonprofit leadership or management I think this is one of those skills that can kind of uh, yeah sweep over a lot of different areas like Like marriage? Yep, parenting. Like parenting? I'm already getting all the tips, but I'm going to try on my five and seven and three-year-old. I said that in a weird order. But yes, they're doomed today. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. You're going to
1: practice.
0: Yeah. I'm going to mess up on them so I can take it better to the workplace. (laughs) Uh, Hey, thanks for this. I'm very excited for the next few episodes, and hopefully you, our listeners, are as well. So see you soon.
1: Thanks for listening to What in the World, where we seek to educate and inspire. Here at Hungry for Life, we are passionate about your group having a global impact in eradicating needless suffering. For more information, head over to our website
0: at hungryforlife.org. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and wherever you may listen to podcasts. Tune in every other week for another conversation about what is happening at Hungry for Life.